Automated Podcast. Welcome to Automated. I'm your host, Mark Verbenkov, and in this weekly podcast, we will be exploring the impact of emerging technology on jobs, society, as well as us, with business and technology leaders, researchers, and independent professionals across the world. So over the course of the discussions in the podcast, a number of larger trends have really come up. And one of the central ones is whether certain technologies automate or augment work. And if you've been listening to some of the previous discussions, this has not always been easily discernible with the technologies under question. So today's episode, however, looks at perhaps the clearest example of augmentation, and this is through exoskeletons. I think that most people, when they hear of an exoskeleton for the first time, they might initially visualize something like an Iron Man suit or the large and bulky suits from other movies like the second Aliens movie, or the Tom Cruise film, The Edge of Tomorrow. Though the real world suits are of course much less imaginative and deadly, they do however serve to support people in a wide range of environments and of course movements. My guest today to talk about this technology is Dr. Saskia Baltrush. So Saskia and I actually work on a European project together, Accelerate. This is to both improve current industrial exoskeletons and help European SMEs accelerate their adoption. And though the project focuses on passive exoskeletons, which we'll talk about more in the discussion ahead, our discussion also covers active ones while also touching on military applications and the possible future versions of the supportive technology. Saskia is working as a research scientist at TNO in the Department of Sustainable Productivity and Employability. By conducting research in the field of new technologies in the working environment, such as exoskeletons and cobots, she aims to enhance the health of employees. Her current projects focus on accelerating the adoption of exoskeletons into industry and on human-robot interaction and its effect on job quality. So Saskia obtained her PhD at the Free University of Amsterdam in 2020. For four years, she was working on the development and evaluation of passive trunk exoskeletons for low back pain prevention and vocational reintegration. Her work resulted in multiple publications in international peer-reviewed journals, as well as numerous presentations at national and international conferences. So with her expertise in human factors, biomechanics, and ergonomics, she supports TNO to boost productivity, health, and comfort of employees. Great. Well, hi there, Saskia. Thanks for coming on to the Automated Podcast. It's great to have you here today to talk about what I think would be a technology that many people might not have heard about, uh, exoskeletons. So thanks for thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I'm uh, glad to be here today. Great. Yeah, so, so uh, we'll be talking about exoskeletons. I, I think we'll get into a little bit of the definition of it in a bit, but uh, I'd like to ask you, as kind of the, one of the things that I do with all my guests, uh, what initially draw or drew you into exoskeletons? What was kind of the the main interest to get into the the work that you do? Yeah, um, well, I would say about six years ago, uh, I haven't heard about exoskeletons at all. Okay, um, that's when I finished my master's in uh, human movement sciences in the Netherlands, and then I was looking for PhD positions because I really wanted to do a PhD, mm-hmm. and there was one coming up at a rehabilitation center. 
and it was a European project about uh, actually building an own exoskeleton for the low back. Okay. And I was super interested because it sounded nice. It was something with technology and I wanted to combine technology with human movement sciences and how mm-hmm. does technology affect the human movement basically. Um, and then I thought, okay, I apply for that PhD position and I was lucky and I got the job. And that was when I, my first contact started with exoskeletons. Okay. And um, yeah, now six years later, I'm still busy with the same topic and I like it and it's super interesting. And yeah. So, so we're both working on a project that deals with exoskeletons and um, many of the, even some of the colleagues that work at the, the company that I'm at have never heard of exoskeletons before. So maybe I can get you to explain a little bit what exactly is an exoskeleton. From my understanding, there's kind of two main types. There's an active and a passive exoskeleton. Maybe you can just take us through a little bit so that the audience is kind of at the, at the same level when, when we're talking about these technologies. Yeah. So an exoskeleton is basically a wearable device, a device that you can wear that supports the user or the wearer of that device in certain movements. Um, So it's supposed to reduce loading on certain body areas, I would say. Mm -hmm. So there are exoskeletons for the back, there are exoskeletons for the legs, there are exoskeletons for the shoulders or for the arms. So there are exoskeletons for different body regions. And um, like you said already, there are active and um, passive exoskeletons. But before that, maybe it's good to say it it looks a bit like a backpack mostly. So Mm -hmm. people can really easily put it on and off. Um, It's quite hard to, I guess, uh, see an exoskeleton in front of you if you've never seen it before. But Mm -hmm. yeah, imagine Mm -hmm. it like a backpack. And um, yeah, there are passive ones. Those are the, I would say, the less complex ones. Mm -hmm. Um, and they work on a spring mechanism mostly, I'd say. So if you have, for example, a, a back exoskeleton, you have springs that run parallel to your back. And if you bend forward, for example, that's when your muscle active or when, when your back muscles have to get active, you want to get support. Right. Um, then these springs get extended. They store energy. If you come up again, they release this energy again. And, and that's how you basically get support from the spring mechanism. That's how a passive exoskeleton works. Mm-hmm. And the active exoskeletons also come with a motor or a battery. And that could be an advantage in case, like if you want more support, even though mm, nowadays in the research, you don't really have active exoskeletons that show more support, but mm-hmm. I can come back to that maybe later. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, and active exoskeletons um, are more complex, but you can also program certain stuff better. So you could say uh, with an active ex- exoskeleton, you can uh, say it's the, the set the certain timing of support. When do I want to have my support? I don't want to only have a support whenever I do a movement because that's what happens with a passive exoskeleton. Maybe I want to have it in, yeah, in a certain timing only if I pick up this heavy box because that's actually when I have the loading on the back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or maybe I want to have a gradual increase of the support. Um, things like that are better uh, to program with an active exoskeleton than a passive one, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which makes it more attractive maybe, but also more complex and also more difficult to use and to, yeah. yeah. And, and more expensive <laughs> because of that. And more expensive, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. Um, Okay, so if if we're talking about the technology as acting as kind of a the, the main thing is supporting you know muscle movements and movements in general of humans, what are some of the places that these uh, again maybe it's good to separate both the active and the passive types? Where are they being used 
if we talk about passive ones mainly i would say because those are mainly used right now um yeah somewhere in industry or in mm -hmm, mm -hmm. healthcare i could start with healthcare but i'm not so i'm mainly busy with exoskeletons in industry but there are exoskeletons in the healthcare sector but they're mostly for um they're like a full body suit exoskeleton i'd say um and they're mostly for people with for example spinal cord injury who can't mm -hmm. walk anymore and they're also active with motors because yeah they have to make people be able to walk again so we also had one of one of those exoskeletons at the um, rehabilitation center where i was working and sometimes you can see patients walking along the corridor and they were just trying to walk again with an exoskeleton can, um, I, can i just can i just pause you on that so i mean i haven't personally experienced somebody um using one of those only in maybe a ted talk or something like that did was there any kind of like monumental psychological change that somebody who was paralyzed was able to walk, even though of course they have this, you know, body suit on them, this exoskeleton on them. Uh, was there any kind of like real mental change that over overtook these people? Uh, I'm not sure. Like I, I see these patients walking there and I think they do like that because they're, yeah. yeah, they are able to stand up again. They are able to walk again. It takes quite a long time till you can really, walk a couple of or 100 meters or so okay, and the, in okay. the beginning they can do like five steps to that thing right right because what they have to do is they have to basically shift the body um a bit forward and by that they activate how the exoskeleton starts moving mm. and it's quite quite hard to um to learn that i think but i do think they enjoy it because they have more and more patients doing it yeah um but whether there was a big mental change i don't know yeah yeah no, but I could imagine. But they always have to also use the sticks that you need uh, to walk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they can't do it with hands free yet, um, okay. which doesn't make them really fully independent yet. So right, yeah. right, right. Well, I guess I guess that's where the technology, uh, technological development is going to happen over in the the next five, ten years or something like that. Probably. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah, and then yeah, next to the healthcare sectors and the industry. And there you see a lot that, for example, in the automotive industry, where people have to work a lot um, above their head, for example, mm -hmm. and they just have to hold their arms a lot over their head for a really long time, um, that they really have problems in their shoulders because they do that a lot, eight hours a day. And there is just a really big demand of something that can support them. And especially in jobs where you can't automize processes. Mm -hmm. Um, you really need um, yeah, a wearable device for these people. And then an exoskeleton comes in super handy because they can wear that, they can rest their arms on that. Um, and then they hopefully don't get shoulder um, problems anymore in the future, mm -hmm. which also makes the company um, have less costs for people who have to be on sick leave or whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess this would also be uh, when when this gets scaled up, right? Because there are many different motor company or automobile companies uh, in Europe, but also in the States and in China and other places, right? It, when it's scaled up, I think a lot of these um, kind of um, health impacts is going to put wear and tear on the health system. And especially now in our in our age, when I think everybody's a little bit more aware of the, the current limitations of the health system, a technology like this, reducing those, um, those stresses is, is more beneficial now than I think even in the past. Definitely, yes. Mm -hmm. And not only in prevention, but also in helping people who already have it. So mm -hmm. and you can also see that if you if you talk to these people who are using them already, mainly the people who have problems or had problems already pain yep. in the back pain in the shoulders are quite positive about these exoskeletons mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um people who didn't have any problems yet are more like 
why should I wear this? Uh, It's a bit like, why should I stop smoking? I don't have any problems. Um, Well, maybe the problem problems come in like 10 years or so. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And so um, we're talking about these, you know, muscular disorders that people have from, you know, working uh, with their hands up or their arms up all day long. Um, Is this the main benefit that exoskeletons have? Are, Are there other things that it's able to do? Or is that really the main kind of uh, added value that exoskeletons have uh, within industry? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I would say it is one of the main benefits and, mm-hmm. of course, also one of the main reasons why you use these things. Um, in my research, we also did research on does it affect um, self-confidence in, some, mm, in your own okay. body, basically, which was also quite interesting. And we found that it can, it can um, basically... Uh, how do you say increase the self-confidence in your own body so we did that with uh, patients who had low back pain for a long time already mm-hmm. and we wanted to know um, if they wear this exoskeleton uh, do they get back their self-confidence in their own body because these people often have problems with i can't do anything anymore i don't dare to do this movement anymore and mm. um so i think that's also something that an exoskeleton could be useful for but yeah. I also know from conversations with a lot of doctors and healthcare professionals that they're quite skeptical about this idea. <laughs> okay. Okay. So yeah. Is, is that is that interesting? Is that I'm just curious. Is that because they haven't seen too many uh, use cases of this, or they're just skeptical about the technology um, having that kind of psychological benefit? Mm, I think they're skeptical that this psychological effect is actually a benefit. I think mm-hmm. they're afraid of. I think we're just going to make them more dependent on something. So they think, okay, patients just get dependent on this device. Uh, They think I can't do anything without this device anymore. And that was their main uh, concern. And of course, you don't have any use cases yet because it's not used with patients anywhere yet. Um, So we just wanted to know their thoughts about that and whether this is an idea. The patients were quite positive and the healthcare professionals were quite negative. Okay. Okay. That was interesting. Um, one of the other things that, uh, that I've um, come across when dealing with exoskeletons is uh, the, the payload of it, right? So uh, I know that the passive exoskeletons, I mean, sometimes they don't even go all the way up your arm. They only go kind of to your, to your bicep or your tricep. And so that you're able to hold your arm up a little bit more. Um, I think that maybe payload would be a little bit more relevant for the active exoskeletons, right? I, I think a lot of people that would be listening to this immediately go to like an Iron Man idea right where they have a fully motorized um you know suit on that enables them to get almost kind of superpowers or something like that um do you know what kind of uh limitations there are for the active exoskeletons out there right now specifically regarding how much load you can put on the exoskeleton yeah I'm not sure for the active ones, no. Uh, but I do know that you also don't want to reduce the load or you don't want to support the person too much because mm-hmm. the idea of an exoskeleton is not to, let's say, make super power to that person. So the person yeah. can just, uh, instead of normally handling loads of 15 kilos, handling loads of, I don't know, 35 to 40 kilos. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. not what you want. You want actually that this person still does the same work, but then with less loading on whatever body region it is yeah and so i also think it's not really correct to think about payload and how much load can we maximally put on this exoskeleton because that's not the goal that we have as an exoskeleton okay okay that's a good point so yeah um 
what one one of the other questions that I have is uh, when I first uh, heard about exoskeletons, I, I I was able to go to a conference in Germany about them, and um, you know there were some interesting passive and I think one or two active exoskeletons that were being showcased. You know people were trying them on, you know lifting their arms and stuff like that. But at the at the very end of the conference, there was a demonstration of a military exoskeleton and it was interesting to see like the whole room kind of go quiet you had a um i think it was an ex-soldier uh you know try on the military exoskeleton and he was able to run back and forth across the stage um if you know like what is the difference in technological advancement between like military exoskeletons and you know industry and healthcare exoskeletons uh, is there is there a big divergence between the two um well the goals are different i would say um why do you use this exoskeleton so for military there are also exoskeletons for example that um try to transfer the loads of a heavy backpack doing walking um to Mm -hmm. the ground for example right right so people can walk longer with a heavy backpack um and I think that goal is just different than the goal in healthcare sector or in uh, industry. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, there's more about, uh, yeah, actually they have to endure a task longer or the, they should just, yeah, do a ta- perform a task longer with the same load instead of um, trying to prevent them from, yeah, musculoskeletal disorders, I would say. Right. Um, right. And I think the technical advancements are around the same i would say okay um interesting is also like i'm actually busy right now also in a project with the armed forces of the netherlands so they're also interested in exoskeletons mm-hmm. um but there they actually have a bit the same problem so they also have people with shoulder problems with back problems and they just want to know can we use exoskeletons in different locations within their armed forces Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and we just travel to all these locations and have a look and um, it's quite difficult um, to give a good advice because there are so many different tasks and a lot of tasks are also just with so heavy weight Mm. that you would say um, weights of 45 kilos does it make sense to have an exoskeleton then no not Mm -hmm, really mm -hmm. so yeah Interesting. Yeah. So maybe then we can, we can back up a bit. What are some of the specific tasks? Um, maybe, I mean, we already talked about the tasks that are overhead and say the automotive industry, but are there other tasks that exoskeletons are being used for in general? Um, well, depends on the, on the exoskeleton on the, of the type of the exoskeleton, but for example, static forward bending is a task that um, is pretty good supported by an exoskeleton Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but if you then think of well where in a job do you always have constantly um static forward bending that doesn't really happen that often yeah um yeah so there's always a trade-off between there are certain tasks that are good uh, to support with the exoskeleton but there are a lot of other tasks that they also do in that job and they're maybe not that good to be supported by an exoskeleton but static forward bending is one then uh, lifting for example also but then it depends how much uh, weight, because uh, yeah, from a certain weight on, um, it's just too heavy, and the exoskeleton can't give relative the support that it should give. Mm-hmm. Then uh, for the uh, shoulder exoskeleton, it's working overhead, but also if the arms are a bit lifted, they also get support already. The people, mm-hmm. uh, those are the main tasks, I would say. And then if you think of people performing these tasks, for example, had. 
um, with um, a workshop with roofers on the roof because they stand a lot in forward bending position. Right. Um, but also, for example, dentists already um, okay. started maybe thinking about using it because they always stand in a really yeah um, right. static right. forward presenting bending position, but then in in small angles, and that's still a challenge actually, and that's where maybe an active would be better. Because if you think of a spring mechanism, you have to load the spring and mm -hmm. the loading starts at bigger angles. So if you're in the small angle, you don't really get that much support yet. Okay. So then it might be a good idea to use an active one because then you can say, I want to have support, 100% support at a really small bending angle. Yeah, for yeah. Yeah, and then and then if it's just a small angle, you wouldn't need such a big motor. And I've seen some of these exoskeletons, and you know some of them are quite bulky. So uh, I guess it depends on the industry that they're working in, but it might get a uh, might get in the way of you know say a dentist doing some fine detailed um, tasks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I want to go back. I was thinking, um, you know, we were talking about uh, military, and and then you brought up uh, roofers as well. So do you know if there are any kind of um, limitations based on the environments that people are using them in um, if it's like too hot uh, because this is something that goes directly onto your body um, is there any kind of uh, limitations in that sense yeah i remember we once talked with people from a steel industry and there the environment itself is really hot and they're yeah. getting contact with a lot of uh yeah hot material mm -hmm. and that can be a limitation um that just the exoskeleton gets too hot yeah. Um, we're right now busy with uh, with people with plasters. Okay. And there the question is, so they now go, get an exoskeleton for six weeks and they try it on and we hope that they like it, but we mm -hmm. see. And there's a lot of dust involved. So that's also a question. Does the exoskeleton still function the same right. way after six weeks? Because mm -hmm. these plasters might not clean it every day and you sure, also don't want sure. to do that. Yeah, then water is maybe also a problem if it comes yeah if there's if it gets wet or whatsoever mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um yeah those are the things i can think of right now and sometimes we also have use cases where you need small adjustments and then which is quite nice the exoskeleton developers are quite because it's still on a really small scale that they develop it for use cases they are still mm -hmm. quite open to say okay we can do a small adjustment and that this is a specific exoskeleton for your specific use case yeah Interesting. Well, maybe that's um, that's a good segue into kind of one of the one of the last questions here. It's also one of the things that I like to end uh, these podcast episodes on. It's kind of like the future outlook of these exoskeletons. So you're saying, you know, many of these producers, it's not really at large scale yet. Um, they're still maybe even trying to find the specific applications where exoskeletons can fit. What do you see in say like the next five to ten years? Are are more industries going to be taking up exoskeletons? Is the technology going to get better? Uh, maybe you can lay out a little bit of a of a future vision, if you will. Um, well, yeah, I think like the exoskeleton technology started like maybe ten years ago, I'd say, mm -hmm. and we're still in the beginning. Yeah. So um, yeah, like I said, everything is on a small scale. They can do still specific changes for specific um, yeah use cases. So I do think that it will the the demand will increase. More people will get aware of it. I mean, we are both now also in a project that actually tries mm -hmm. to increase the awareness that there yeah. are exoskeletons that they yeah. can use. Uh, so I think these kind of projects are useful and really important to yeah make people aware that there is this technology. And I do think that more people will use it because I see a lot of potential of it, mm -hmm. um, especially for an arm exoskeleton because it's quite simple. It's quite 
it sits quite tight on the body. It doesn't interfere too much for people. So I do mm -hmm. think there is a lot of potential. Um, what I find dangerous also about this whole exoskeleton technology coming up is that sometimes people forget or companies forget that the exoskeleton should never be the first solution. Mm. So if you right. have a problem, people have, I don't know, shoulder problems or something, or they have problems in the back because they always have to lift from ankle height or whatever, then try to first find other solutions. Can you maybe increase the lifting height? Can you change something in the working environment? Can you say the person uh, doesn't, it, it doesn't have to do this eight hours long, but actually can switch between tasks mm -hmm, or whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And those things should be considered first before considering the implementation of an exoskeleton. Right. And I know from people from the exoskeleton developers, they sometimes um, get called and, hey, we, we're interested in exoskeletons. And then they come by and then they look at this uh, use case and they're like, well, there's a lot to change here, <laughs> but not with an exoskeleton. Right, right. Because, <laughs> yeah, you first really have to try to use the normal, the standard things of ergonomics, mm -hmm, make mm -hmm. it an ergonomic, uh, positive way of working and not, okay, I just solve everything with an exoskeleton. Right. And that's what I hope is not going to happen in the future. Um, and that's also something that we should yeah, bring out there to the people that they know yeah. that this is not the first solution. Yeah, yeah, it's not a uh, not a panacea to all of your industry's problems, right? The, there are potentially other things that you can do beforehand uh, before yes. implementing uh, a really cool technology. And I also think that the active exoskeletons, like right now, they're still not that much, much advanced. So there are a lot of research going on in active exoskeletons, and I'm really curious about how they develop because I see a lot of potential with active ones as well. But they're still, like you said, heavy because you have extra motors and batteries and yeah, heavy stuff people just don't really want to wear during their work. So I'm really curious whether people come up with good solutions from active exoskeletons that um, yeah, can also be helpful in limitations that passive exoskeletons still have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, I uh, I couldn't agree further. I, I think the, the last question I'll ask you, and this is... Uh, I'm just remembering now an article that I read a while ago. So we've been talking about, you know, passive and active exoskeletons. And I think this question is more closely tied to passive exoskeletons. But what I read was there are, and I'm going to put in quotations, exoskeletons that are kind of built into clothing. So you have, I think it was even like some sort of elastic band, some industrial strength and industrial bands built into clothing to mimic some of the capabilities of the exoskeletons, the passive ones. Have you heard of that? Is that something that's growing as well? Is that something that's getting more um, research and funding and looking into? Because it sounds like a really interesting technology as well. <laughs> <clears throat> I haven't heard about like that they're in the clothing. Okay. I did hear about, so um, you also have rigid exoskeletons and soft exoskeletons and soft exoskeletons are mainly out of yeah straps, like you mm -hmm. said. Mm -hmm. And I could imagine that you could wear these straps also underneath the clothing or build it into clothing, probably possible. Right. Um, the thing about these soft exoskeletons is that they're limited in support. Um, and so I do think in terms of um, moving in these exoskeletons is nicer because a lot of people with these rigid exoskeletons, they say, mm -hmm. hmm, it, it limits me and the way I move and I yeah. feel like I can't really move freely. And with these soft ones, it feels like that you can move better and you still get support. But the question is, is that 
enough support that you're going to prevent musculoskeletal disorders. Right, and, right. But I'm I'm curious whether they're going to improve that somehow. Yeah. But um, I do see I do see a, a potential of these soft ones as well because yeah, they just limit people less and they probably like to wear it more. But the question is whether the support is sufficient. Awesome. Um... Saskia, thanks a lot for coming onto the podcast. Uh, I think it's been a really good kind of introduction to this type of technology, which, uh, as I mentioned to you before we started, hasn't really been talked about on the podcast before. So uh, I want to thank you for that. I'll have your LinkedIn, uh, maybe the research that you've done. Uh, I'd love to have that on the show notes as well. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was fun talking to you. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear and you want to support the podcast and the conversations here, the best way to do this is to go onto Apple Podcasts and leave a review as it helps the algorithm to reach out to new listeners and brings the show to them. Also, feel free to check out the website, automatedpodcast.org, where you can find the show notes for each episode, written articles on the themes of the podcast, and a library of resources on the topic of emerging tech and automation. Also, if you want to reach out and leave any feedback or you have any questions about the podcast or any of the conversations, there are general contact links such as email, LinkedIn, Twitter, etc. for you there on the website. And finally, for those of you that want more than just an audio conversation, the video recordings are now going to be up on YouTube for the newer conversations. So feel free to check out the videos by searching for Automated Podcast on YouTube, where, of course, you can like and subscribe if you prefer to support the podcast that way. The Automated Podcast.